The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Always glad to have you with us. On the radio, on the road, on the podcast, we love to do the road travel topics for American Road Magazine. Today, we're going to have another visit back-to-back as our broadcast schedule goes with the wonderful Erica Nelson. We have Eric Ryder at the board. He's producing. Always glad to have him with us. So let's get in the car and see where it takes us. Erica Nelson is an artist, educator, and one of America's foremost experts and speakers on the world's largest things. She also is a department editor for American Road Magazine. Visiting communities with her own unique traveling museum, which acquired a permanent base back in 2017, Erica is in demand as a consultant to cities seeking to create their own world's largest thing or roadside attraction to increase tourism, marketing, and economic development for their community. When not on the road, Erica and the world's largest collection of the world's smallest versions of the world's largest things van can be found in Lucas, Kansas. Right now, she's found on Trip Talk. Erica, glad to have you back with us. Well, good to hear you again, Gary. And you are actually catching me on the road in the middle of a road trip this time, which has become a rarity in this uh, age of covid Yes, it has, and that is part and parcel of our discussion today, for sure. To start off, though, Erica, by way of giving you some props, in the current issue of American Road Magazine, which I hope everybody has access to, certainly you can go to AmericanRoadMagazine.com and preview it. It's available on newsstands as well across the continent. There is a wonderful article in there penned and researched by Erica Nelson called Hat and Boots in Seattle, Washington. And speaking of it generally now, before we take to the cultural wilds of Wisconsin, of all places, I just wanted to mention that article, Erica, for its excellence, and also by way of seeing if I can't lasso you into a future opportunity, maybe the next time you're on Trip Talk, to discuss this remarkable landmark in Seattle, Washington. Wow, that was some really great punning there, Gary. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Hat and Boots. It's in it's in my top fifteen of world's largest, just because it's got grace, it's got style, and it's got history. And it has a city who actually saved it and moved it to a new location, so it can have a new life after its first life as a filling station. So it takes all the boxes for me, and I would. Love to discuss that and the uh, other Seattle oddities um, in in the further Washington region on a on a future episode. We can do that next time. It's interesting to me how Seattle, as our listeners locally can attest, is a place not as renowned for its kitschiness, though it certainly could be, but that's mainly because of all the natural beauty and the fact that there was a World's Fair there, and in that process, Seattle joined the space age enthusiastically, and there is a a heck of a lot of economic development which has boomed ever since Boeing met Microsoft and, and biotech, et cetera. 
but there is still that kitschiness and these these landmarks that are beloved to the locals and the visitors and it's great to see that they are preserved and enhanced whenever possible i'd hate to see all that fade away yeah and you don't have to save everything but saving the best examples of uh, a building of an era really kind of adds to your own visual history of your community indeed it does Next time you're on the air, we will make sure that we go into that in more depth. Hat and Boots, Seattle, Washington. So now we're going to head east to Wisconsin. We'll head to the northern tier of states there in the Midwest. Beautiful Wisconsin. You know, it used to be, Erica, that there was a teasing reference to a motto proposed for the license plates of Wisconsin. Somebody suggested that they say, eat cheese or die. But it turns out that dairy... <laughs> Dairy and farmland, which I have witnessed firsthand when I visited Wisconsin a couple of times, and gorgeous Lake Geneva, for example, that is one part of Wisconsin. But I never really thought of it in terms of being the cultural wilds that it is. And you have made a road trip there, and you're doing it very uh, very responsibly and cautiously during this COVID era that we are enduring. And you have found many, many places to visit that are noteworthy. And I wanted to get to some of those during this episode. Yeah. And the thing that brings me to Wisconsin is actually one of my many other jobs is working as an artist. So I am up here doing a an installation piece about how people feel about voting right now. <laughs> so a very hot topic uh, art installation on a 50-mile route that winds through Sauk County farmland and is punctuated by invited artists to build some sort of either site-specific or topic-specific artwork that people are then invited to take long, leisurely drives and come up and interact with the art or just drive by and witness art in a new place. So it's sort of the idealized um, art fair in a rural setting with social distancing built in. Is the overarching name for this project the Farm Art Detour? Yeah, yeah, because it, it those are the big elements. It's a detour off of your normal path. It's a detour for the local farmers, too, where they have artists coming in and working with the landowners, usually very closely, uh, not physically, just conceptually, um, to invite people in. So you've got the farm, you've got the art, and you've got the detour off of that, that normal, everyday experience into this realm of slowing down and really appreciating the culture within the agriculture here. And in the process, somebody must have had a very bright idea that this is a presidential election year, and they wanted to get people into the theme of voting, of choosing. And in so doing it, there was a uh, there's kind of a um, objectified version of that where you take this tour, and I, as I understand it, you can even vote one way or the other. They make this a very enhanced kind of involvement rather than a casual tour. You get involved on this trail. Yeah, yeah, they're um, the artists that are usually selected, and it's a jury process to get chosen to be one of these artists. All of us um, have in our practice that 
want to connect to people and make them think just a little bit differently about what they're seeing or what they're doing. So the voting piece in particular does have a series of ballots and a, a puncher that you punch the ballots with, with results tabulated daily. But there are more questions about voting. For example, one of the questions is, would you trust your neighbor to vote for you, yes or no? So seeing how that uh, compiled set of answers changes during the week as people are interacting, it's been really fun. And uh, a lot of the other installations talk about the land, talk about our caretaking of resources, and talk about what's going on around you. It's in the middle of harvest season, so there's this direct connection to seeing something grow and be harvested and produced and what it takes machinery-wise to do that. So really slowing down again to take a look at this cultural thing that we've created as community uh, and interpreted in, in so many different ways. Is this supposed to be a permanent exhibit? No, these are temporary. So all of this activity is focused on two weekends. Uh, so last weekend, and this is our final weekend, uh, and then it's also open throughout the week. But it's usually a 10-day tour through 50 miles. Um, and it happens, it used to happen yearly. Now it's happening every two years. And this is the eighth one that has happened. So every tour has been a different 50-mile route through rural Sauk County. Uh, pointed by farm stands and artwork. And tonight, um, I parked as close as I could to where I think the line's going to start for a drive through fish fry. Uh, because oh. you're in Wisconsin, you've got to do a Friday night fish fry. <laughs> yes. And I think I know where the line's going to form. That is very, very interesting. And it's very characteristic of Wisconsin as well. People think of Milwaukee, they think of cheese, they think of all those cows. But this is a, a place that is a hotbed of politics and, and therefore a political interest, even while people have farm chores to do, so many of them, in open land. I've seen some of that myself, and it is exceptionally beautiful country. And for it to become a place of art is very wise. I just love that. I, I love the idea that they would treat Americana during an election year in that way. Yeah, and um, it's, a, it's a magical place where all these conversations that you have in your head when you're thinking about politics, even in sort of rehearsing your answers to what you think your neighbor is going to talk to you about, and you're just already clenched up about it, some of that melts away when you remember that your neighbor is a person. And your neighbor has a tractor that just broke down and you need to go help him. Or the landowner, if you're an artist doing one of these installations, the landowners have a really busy schedule and your politics might not match, but your goal is the same in welcoming people into this community. So it kind of reminds you to relax about the politics, not change your mind about it, but remember that you're dealing with your neighbors who might not have the same views as you, but there's going to be a way that you still work together as a community to make your area better. Yes, many times for the survival of the community when you're in these rural areas, too. I can see that. 
Erica, I'm curious to know, what would you consider the highlight objects? We don't mean to leave anyone out, but if we're talking about a 50-mile trek and it's a, a place where art is appreciated and experienced, what are the pieces that jump out at you? Well, we've been talking about the political one, which is mine. So I can't plug that one because we already did. And I'm happy with how it turned out. But for sheer beauty, um, there was a moment, and this was a very, very temporary one. There was a moment when I was driving over a hill and a kite community had decided to come together. And they brought together all of their shaped kites, all of their land kites, all of their sky sort of trains of kites. And you go through this farmland, and all of a sudden the sky is full of these whirling, beautiful, flowing things. And they just had decided that for that first opening day of the detour, they would fill a field with kites. And it was oh, wow. just stunning. Yes, that is a um, that is a good alternative to some of the things I've seen, like the uh, hot air balloon uh, races in Albuquerque, for example, in New Mexico. You have the air races in Reno. It's interesting to see how the land and the sky can be used by people to suit a special purpose. And when they do it, they're creating art. If you're out there flying a kite or even arranging them in a way that becomes performance art. Oh, yeah. And it was over such a wide area that everybody was still able to be separate, but together in this big collective mass of something that makes you look at your surroundings with new eyes. And I thought I understood you to say that this is something that is done annually. This isn't the, the one and off type of event. This is something that I think has this weekend yet to go, but they would be planning ahead. Yeah, they're planning for the next detour will be two years from now, and that will be the, the ninth detour. So they usually let the land rest in between. So every two years, this sort of grand event happens. It also usually happens with a fermentation festival, but that one is very classes-based and very um, close quarters. So they decided not to do the fermentation classes this year, but hopefully by two years from now, we'll be able to get together and pickle in addition to exploring the landscape and the artworks. That would be great. You said let the land rest. These are farmers to the core. Oh, yeah. Uh, every, every bit of the thought of the production of the land and what it has grown, either to nourish our, our bodies or nourish our minds, is thought about by the organizers, and I think that's why the landowners so eagerly um, collaborate. You don't often think about farmers and artists getting together to make a statement, but because the artists are all coming to it from that same place of honoring growth of culture, of agriculture, responding to the landscape, then the farmers are like, oh, you get it too. I never thought about artists being able to understand what we do and vice versa. Farm Art Detour in Wisconsin. Wait another couple of years, you get another chance, and it is happening this weekend as we are broadcasting to wrap up this year's edition. That's wonderful, Erica. While we're on this theme of cultural wilds of Wisconsin, 
I will tell you, I'm sort of having to confess here that I look for convenience when I'm on a road trip, maybe a little more than I should. I'll go to the reliable chains and I pretty much know what I'm getting and that's why I do it for a reasonable price. But there are people, I know several just in my circle of friends who want to go to the out of the way place or they want to go to the culturally significant place, whether it's for the elegance or the weirdness, something that stands apart from the humdrum, stands apart from the rest that you expect off the interstate. And in the case of Dodgeville, Wisconsin, you were able to tour the Don Q Inn, and particularly the cave room. But Don Q Inn is a place that until I saw your post in regards on Facebook, I knew nothing about. Tell our listeners about Don Q Inn. Oh, this one is a great one. Because for all of the art and the agriculture and the um, careful response to things that I do as an artist, as a person traveling, I love the kitschy, over-the-top, fantastical transformations of spaces, and it makes me giddy. So when I saw a giant airplane parked outside of a sort of expansive barn that said, Fantasy Suites, I had to stop. Um, and that was years ago, and ever since then, it's been on my list to get access to some of the coveted theme rooms of the Don Q Inn. So it was built in the late 1970s, and there's a sort of a chain of, a loose chain of them. Uh, the Fanta Suites line is also uh, in the same order, but they are hotel room suites that have been transformed usually through concrete and stucco and furnishings, into fantasy themes. So the one that Gary mentioned is the cave room. So you enter, and it's this sort of dark, scumbly, stalactite and stalagmite um, 1970s hotel room with a lot of mirrors and a giant hot tub. But everything is formed to look like the interior of a cave. Uh, so I didn't just get to tour it. I got to stay in it. All right. So that's one of the big sort of fly-up wings on my roadside traveler badge um, that I actually got to stay in the coveted cave room. But there are other that. themes on suites. There's an igloo room uh, with a giant bear pelt over another concrete uh, igloo that also has a whirlpool suite. There are Cupid rooms. There are two um, space-themed rooms where you actually crawl up into a space pod for your giant round bed that is also situated over a whirlpool. Uh, and then there's everything from Casino Royale to uh, Paradise Suites to Jungle Adventures. And it, every room is booked most of the time, so you have to make some plans to get the one that you would like, but it was an experience to finally be able to stay and not just fantasize. I envy you. I really do, Erica. And it would, I would be remiss if I didn't have you tell people how easy or difficult it may be to get there. Is this rather a trek to Dodgeville, Wisconsin? I'd never heard of the town. I won't forget it now. But Dodgeville, Wisconsin, if you're coming from Chicago, if you're coming from Milwaukee or St. Louis, any of those places, how would you get there? You would likely have to drive, but it is on the way to Wisconsin Dells. 
so most people in the upper Midwest recognize that as a tourist destination. But even more importantly, it's only five miles from House on the Rock, which is, I believe we've talked about it before, but is also one of those kitschy, iconic kings of tourism. Uh, so it it does have a lot of neighboring sites within the region that you'd likely be driving to anyway. This would just be the secret cherry on cherry on the ice cream Sunday of your travels. That makes sense, Erica, that it would be a kind of circuit. I have been to Wisconsin Dells, got some great barbecue there, but people who go to the Dells don't go there chiefly for the barbecue. If you don't like water slides and other water-based attractions, especially aimed at families, you probably wouldn't care to go there, but I recommend that you check it out anyway. It's To me, it's like Disney on water meets Disney, the family entertainment in a way that has room for everyone. And a lot of the appointments are elegant. A lot of the, the lodging is as well. It, it has this perpetually new look because I think they intend that. But if you want to get into family recreation where you just make a thrill out of the access to water, Wisconsin Dells would be a pretty good place to go. Yes, it is. It is the water park capital of the U.S. Well, I didn't know that they had aspired to that, but it makes sense now that you say it. There, And that means it's a matter of scale. This isn't one or two places you can go and isn't that neat. They have built it as a theme for the community itself. Yeah, a theme for the community. And now it, it kind of reflects society, too, because it used to be a bunch of outward-facing water slides and theme parks, but now it's more about water park resorts. So you go into one building and you stay there the entire time. So there are, oh, at least a dozen water theme resorts that populate Wisconsin Dells in addition to the outward facing ones and go-kart tracks, or uh, there's this really beautiful, huge Trojan horse that serves as the anchor for one go-kart track that's part of the Mount Olympus uh, resort community. Oh. Uh, they've, they've changed as people's tastes change, and I, I don't know if that will shift once again when people stop wanting to stay in large resort communities that are all crunched together and get back into more open air because they've, they've been flexible. They've been doing this a long time, and whenever tastes change, then the water resort communities change with them and, and build or revamp to, to serve the needs of the public. And they do it in a way that is unique to them. I want to be totally fair to Wisconsin Dells. It's not meant to replicate the Disney experience, but it evokes that family-friendly atmosphere that, as far as I can tell from my own experience there, is quite reliable for their willingness and ability to entertain families and to make you feel like you're in a safe space. I compare it to Disney only because I've been to Disneyland countless times, many times to Disney World, and there's a certain feeling you get of the enchantment to be found in places like these, but also the sense that somebody is looking out for you. Yeah, and I think part of that might be that it is in the heart of Wisconsin, and it's not... Uh, it's not a huge community. You are driving through rural populations. So the workers live here in our community members. 
Um, and they are welcoming you to the middle of Wisconsin, not just to an experience, but also to where they live. And I think those sorts of um, entertainment communities that are nestled farther away from large cities have that feel. Like Pigeon Forge, Tennessee is also sort of a tourist town, but really feels like the people who work there are welcoming you to that set of mountains and experience a little tiny taste of what they love about where they live. And in that regard, let me mention one more thing, Erica. We have a couple of minutes. What is Forevertron and who is Dr. Evermore? Oh, it's one of the offshoots on this year's Farm Art Detour. Uh, the Forevertron is billed as the world's largest scrap metal sculpture. And Tom Every built it out of, um, he was a heavy metals dealer. So the scrap guys who would go to industrial buildings being torn down, he'd be the guy with the truck buying the interesting equipment. And there were some pieces he fell in love with. So instead of scrapping them, he would combine them together to create uh, new sculptures. And his largest one is this towering, uh, I'd say at least three-story conglomeration of parts and pieces that is steampunk before steampunk was a thing. It's this beautiful contraption designed to, in fantasy world, shoot him up into the stars whenever he is ready to exit this Earth and power on into orbit. That would be a mighty impressive thing to see. And that too will go away, or is there anything permanent about that? Oh, that one is very permanent. So he started building that in the in the 1980s, 1990s, and it's sort of an anchor for the detour as one of those uh, things that locals love to re-see and every visitor needs to see. And one of the best parts about it is that it's located adjacent to a scrap and salvage yard, and right now there's road construction going on. So you have to go through the salvage yard first, and you're going through these towers of scrap that's going to be resold or interesting parts and pieces and then you go through this little garden path and it opens up to reveal this world of dr evermore it's absolutely fantastic i visit every time i come to this region but it's even more special now being activated by this whole new set of eyes beautifully expressed erica if people want to find you online what's your website uh, worldslargestthings.com. Most of my travels, though, are on Facebook, and that also can be found by World's Largest Things. And I'm always looking for the next interesting thing. I hesitate. Uh, I never hesitate to pull off the road and take some pictures. Erica Nelson, always on Art and Culture Safari. Thank you, Erica. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you, Gary. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue with the new one coming along shortly of American Road Magazine. Until next week, dream well and drive safely on the American Road.